0: The murderer, you know. Okay, well, welcome back. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you brought it back. I love you little. Did I forget it? Did I? No, leave I mean, it behind I, f- for a while? I felt like for a little while after <clears throat> someone <laughs> who's here with us said that you shouldn't do it anymore. <laughs> You know,
1: I have oh, yeah. to
0: say in listening I forgot to that you of...
1: said that. Why would you remind me? <laughs> you got to just let my memory <laughs> drop these sorts of details. For the drama, people like drama. <laughs> mm. Listening
2: to some of the the podcasts, I feel like I have been thrown under the bus
0: many <laughs> times, many. It's, it's It's called Comedy Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Get a sense of humor.
2: It's not comedy if you are the personal butt of the joke. It's only (laughs) comedy if somebody else is the butt of the joke.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I'm usually the butt of the joke. I think it's still funny. (laughs) What joke are you
0: the butt of? (laughs) You got to lighten up, (laughs) bro.
2: Moving past butts (laughs) and comedy. Oh, Oh.
0: all right. So. Welcome back. let's get back to the
1: levels of hell instead. I mean, why would we have a moment? Why would we talk about excitement here on the show
0: (laughs) (laughs) when we could talk about (laughs) atrocious murders? Thanks, mom. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, you're done. Okay. Well, welcome back, everyone. This is a this is another twofer. I think maybe it's going to be a threefer because we still have a lot of ground to cover but last week if you haven't listened you absolutely have to go back you will not know what's going on and listen to part one and then come back and meet us right here we'll wait for you we'll wait don't worry we're gonna start with i think i'd like to start with if you remember from last week this guy was arrested And he was brought to the station where he confessed to many, 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 many things. So I would kind of like to go through first what he said when he confessed verbally. And he also wrote a written. Now, is this normal? He also wrote a written confession. Is that always part of the process?
1: I mean, it just depends. Law enforcement will usually ask for that or Mm -hmm. maybe even just like an apology letter. Mm -hmm. Kind of whatever, you know, they develop almost kind of a cordial relationship with a person through an interview and they kind of use that to figure out you know do they think that person would be because obviously it's it's more evidence they want to collect Mm -hmm. as much evidence as possible but they need to do that in a way that's appropriate so there has to be a balance between how they're moving forward
0: does it hold more weight at all than a spoken confession because it's recorded I guess that stuff is all recorded though like interrogations, so. Yeah, I
1: mean, him writing the apology would be recorded. <laughs> so it's almost above and beyond, I would say. And sometimes people aren't going to be willing to do that, especially if it's a crime involving someone in your family, someone you're personally connected to, they'll definitely try to seek an apology note mm-hmm. or something like that. And they they kind of play on the emotions for that, for sure.
0: That yeah. reminds me of yes. that apology note I'm still trying to FOIA. You guys don't worry, I'm still working on that, okay? So it's coming. <laughs> well, as,
2: as you all have pointed out, I get all my legal expertise from law and order. And yeah, the police are always after they break somebody down and they confess, they always shove a notepad in front of them and say,
0: well, write it down. So I thank guess, I you, guess... legal expert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you forgot. Let's carry on from last week. You're the know-it-all. And now mom is the legal expert.
1: <laughs> oh, right.
0: <laughs> What? but I, I don't know anything
1: saying. else. So I don't
0: know. I'm not going to be able to play this role very well. I just know
1: law and snacks. That's pretty much all I've got.
0: <laughs> let's, let's get into his confession and I'm going to go through an order that he confessed to each crime. I'm going to share the information that he gave the officers during the confession. And I'm also going to, if there is additional information that came out during this time. So after the crimes, I'm gonna share a little bit of that information as well. First thing he confessed to, as part of his signed confession, the uncle told the cops, and remember he was arrested in Philadelphia. So this is all happening in Philadelphia. And he was later extradited back to Virginia, which is where these crimes took place. As part of his signed confession, the uncle told the cops, quote, It was a real nasty scene. How am I supposed to explain something like what happened? I started cutting their throats and they kept getting up and they were scaring me. I remember seeing the hammer and picking it up and then I was just hitting them all with the hammer. All I know is nobody was moving when we left out of there. That's where his confession starts. He also Hmm. admitted that his nephew spent most of the time in the house searching for things to steal, and he was the only one who used the hammers, uncle, that is, was the only one who used the hammers to attack the family, He told officers where they could find the stolen items from this family, including the dad's wedding band, a cookie plate, a basket, as well as a computer. And all of those items were found exactly where he said they would be, which from my understanding, not a legal expert, (laughs) gives some weight to his confession, kind of indicates he's not just, it's not a false confession. Yeah. it's cooperation. You, say that? Yeah.
1: Okay. you can't just walk into a police station and say, I killed someone and they arrest you and prosecute you for, for mm-hmm. murder. There has to be a body. There has to be okay. cooperative evidence okay. of your confession. I mean, right. obviously there's piles on piles on piles of cooperative evidence in, in this horror scene.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There, there was also additional evidence. For example, he confirmed for the cops that a pair of boots seized from the residence where he was arrested were his And they had blood on them, which was, of course, tested. And the blood on the boots was confirmed to be from the dad and the 10-year-old girl in this crime, this first larger home invasion. So that's the first crime that he confessed to. He next confessed to the murder of his wife, which at this time still had no suspect and still was considered to likely be an overdose. I have some additional information about this crime from the family, from him, from things that were coming out in the media at the time. Reminder from last week when his wife's body was initially found and even, you know, through early 2006, officers suspected she died from an overdose. Her husband was questioned at the time, but was ultimately not considered a suspect, But when he was arrested in 2006, he confessed to murdering his wife with the help of his nephew by bludgeoning her with a lead pipe. He told the officers during his confession that he was sorry and that he missed her and he wished they could trade places. The couple had actually married after he got out of jail, like we discussed last week. I know, I think I said it was March, but it was actually January 2005. He moved into his wife's house and they started their life together. Her parents, though, never liked him because of his record, and apparently, this seems so judgmental, but I mean, I guess they were judging him for a good reason, ultimately. He had these creepy, long, manicured fingernails that the parents really didn't like. That but would, as a parent, that would turn me off, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they apparently... Liked him even less when their daughter's soulmate, I'm air quoting, but that's what she called him, screamed at his wife's kids, tracked her obsessively using her cell phone, and was found smoking weed in the garage with one of her kids. <laughs>
1: well, no wonder these parents are like, the investigation wasn't appropriately yeah. pursued. Mm-hmm. Because one would assume that they had provided all this information, these concerning suspect behaviors about the husband. And not Mm -hmm. only that, but the facts of her death. I mean.
0: And they did. They shared all of this. And that's why they were so vocal against law enforcement at the time. Because they told them all of this stuff. They were not holding anything back. They were very disappointed and felt very let down. The mother-in-law said that she never trusted her daughter's husband. And when her daughter's body was found, she immediately suspected he was to blame. And she told the officers again, which she'd already told them, the story that her daughter confided in her on November 1st. If you remember, she said she was going to leave. So on November 1st, apparently, after her daughter confided in her that she was going to leave her husband, everyone in the family basically stopped hearing from her. They couldn't get in touch with her. She wasn't answering phone calls. And when the family all got together on the fifth to go on a trip, and this is ballsy, isn't it? The uncle and nephew pair, they came to go on the trip, even though the daughter, his wife, the uncle's wife was not there. This is after she's been murdered. Yeah. I mean, but I'm assuming before her body's been found. It's after she's been murdered, before her body's been found, like right before her body's been found. It's basically wow. found that day. And yeah. they're
1: they're like The family's obviously like, is that how it all starts? They're like, where is she? And, and yeah. they're
0: just like, oh, we don't know. Well, the mom said that at the time she thought maybe her daughter had stormed off after confronting her husband about that divorce, just to kind of make a point about how serious she was, that she was going to leave. But the mom actually believes now that her daughter was already dead at this time and that the men actually tagged along in an attempt to create an alibi.
2: But she thinks that her daughter just storms off and leaves her
0: kids with this guy? I mean, yeah, I mean they were married. I don't yeah, think she... she was leaving him because she thought he was a murderer. No, no, no. But what I'm she saying She was leaving is... him because she was unhappy. I don't think she I don't think it was probably Expected right normal to, right, to happen. He had a job. He probably was home with the kids regularly. They were husband and okay. wife. I just think that if
2: I was angry at my husband who was not the husband of my kids, And I said, hopefully, he wasn't the husband
0: of your kids.
2: (laughs) The father of my kids. (laughs) That if I stormed off, I would grab up my kids and go back to my mother's and say,
0: Well, I told him. And I'm getting a
2: divorce. I wouldn't just like like, storm off into the sunset.
0: I guess her mom didn't think it was out of the realm of possibility that she had just stormed off to prove a point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, could happen.
0: You and your hindsight bias. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. So they all meet to go on this trip. The daughter still doesn't show. No one has talked to her in days. This mother-in-law and her husband are becoming increasingly suspicious. And even more so when they find, I kind of (laughs) mentioned this last week, they saw fresh scratches all over their son-in-law's forearms and they confronted him. They asked him what he did to their daughter. They asked him if he hurt her. Did he murder her? And he called them passion marks and cried (laughs) and said, you don't think I'd do that, mom, do you? Wow. That is next level. Next level. The lying right to her face. Wow. After this conversation, she kicked the uncle and the nephew. Oh, by the way, if anyone forgot from last week, these two guys are living in her house. (laughs) So after yes. this conversation, she kicked these guys out of her house, but the f- the family was terrified. The dad of the missing woman took like a month off of work, he said, to stay home and watch his family and make sure these guys that they just tried to cut ties with didn't come for them. They slept with the lights on for months. They were mm. horrified and the police were basically like, eh, he's fine. After Thanksgiving, the grandparents moved back into the larger house with their grandkids, and they were really irritated because the house was trashed. They found a large comforter in the washing machine, which had caused it to jam, so it was in there all wet and moldy. They also cleaned blood and vomit from the master bedroom floor and tossed a bloody pillowcase and a plastic bag smeared with what appeared to be Vaseline, they assumed that they were cleaning up after one of their grandkids who had a nosebleed or something like that
2: after again, she's been murdered mm-hmm.
0: they didn't call the police in to look at all the blood evidence they didn't wow. but in their defense they hadn't had very much success with the police true
1: yeah they'd almost been conditioned to not believe their own eyes
0: Their suspicions are still growing. She thought it was suspicious, for example, that he left the area after Thanksgiving shortly before Christmas. She said in addition to talking to the police, she called his parole officer and put up as many red flags as she possibly could about him leaving the area. When interviewed in 2006, after the men were arrested, she said she wondered if the police did enough and if the men could have been stopped. They obviously did nothing legally though what could they have done I, or even just like in regards to his parole I guess depend, is it always condition of a parole that you can't leave the area where you've been released after prison
1: no it all depends I mean it's oftentimes a condition but it's not always mm-hmm. I mean you usually have to get permission but I don't know it's hard to say because I wasn't a part of those investigations but one mm-hmm. would think that that's something that there was more to the investigation that that led them to the conclusion that they made but it certainly seems like there could have been more potentially that went into the investigation in terms of that uncle for sure I mean he was on parole who knows what his conditions were
0: it is definitely hard to say I just I just
2: you know it sounds like somebody is found beaten and suffocated and you come up with the theory that they died of a drug overdose. And what happened? Somebody beat him afterwards with a pipe. And furthermore, they didn't even go to the house that this woman lived in to look at things like blood and vomit all over the floor.
1: That would be super fascinating to see the police reports because on, I mean, it certainly seems like there's gaps. It would be fascinating to know how the investigation unfolded. Mm-hmm. Of course, it sound like there was much of one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's the really tough part because like we were talking about earlier, that's the only thing that even makes it palatable, if that makes sense, having the Mm -hmm. accountability.
0: Well, and for the family too, because the thing is though, that these guys actually were never brought to justice for actions against this woman, the uncle's wife, ever. They weren't prosecuted for that? No, because, and you'll see, we'll get into it. We're very close to getting into the legal stuff at this point, but essentially they were already going to be spending the rest of their lives in prison or worse. And so they didn't, there wasn't any, there wasn't a lot of evidence and it was kind of too late to start getting a lot of evidence. It was a lot of circumstantial stuff, which is difficult to build a case on. And I guess they just decided that it wasn't worth the cost, the taxpayer dollars and all of that stuff. And you know, the the mother of the woman, she said she recognized that the men would never leave prison, so at least that's something, but she wanted them to be tried for actions against her daughter too. Just for a little bit of that like you said, closure, justice, something. Nothing can bring their daughter back, but just to know that those men paid for that specific thing, you know? Yeah, that's I th- I think sometimes that's what every
1: when, that's what every victim deserves.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think sometimes when people have killings in different states, going back to the D.C. sniper, he killed people in Maryland and he killed people in Virginia and Maryland did not prosecute him. They let him be tried in Virginia because Virginia had the death penalty.
1: Mm. And maybe
2: that's the same with Pennsylvania. Maybe they talked about it and said, well, most of the crimes were in Virginia. You all have the death penalty. You can hold over these people's head. We're going to let you do it. At
0: least they confessed to it, though, right? At least she had that much. Yeah, she said, this is a quote I have from her. My daughter was a mother, a friend, a taxpayer, a member of this community. My daughter was loved. I would like to see justice. Mm. Yeah. It's sad. Awful. sad. The next thing he confessed to was the December 31st, 2005 attack on the young man getting home from work to have dinner with his parents. After the arrest and during the questioning, the uncle told the police that his murder spree started with a random attack on New Year's Eve. He told the officers that they were involved in the stabbing. Involved. Yeah. (laughs) And that his nephew helped while they slit the 25-year-old man's throat, breaking two knives during the random attack. So he's confirming a lot of the pieces that officers already found. You know what I mean? They found broken knives there. They knew the guy had been stabbed he told the officers that there were pieces of black kitchen knives used at the crime left at the scene. This information was used to obtain a warrant for the uncle's grandma's house where two kitchen knives with black handles that were damaged were discovered on January 10th. And the young guy who was attacked, he had actually moved home from Denver to work on his advanced teaching degree And he spent the first two weeks of the new year in a coma and the first two months of the new year in the hospital. He did eventually recover, but he completely lost the use of his right arm. And his dad, who was, like I said, expecting him for dinner the night of the attack and found him so covered in blood that he couldn't see his eyes, said that before this, he was a happy-go-lucky person but he hasn't been the same boy since
2: you wouldn't think so just awful yeah the whole thing just he wasn't murdered he didn't lose his life but it's still how just do you tragic come back terrible. from something
0: like that i mean again it's not something i've been through knock on every piece of wood that exists but i just can't imagine yeah i just think it's
2: it's a life-altering i mean you you just going over to your parents' house, you get out of your car
1: and two complete strangers just attack you and and try to murder you. Of course, it's life altering. You wouldn't approach anything the same ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At work the other day, our, our boss had us read an article about PTSD and these sorts of crimes. It's unimaginable.
0: Yeah. The impact on the rest of your life. He also confessed that he and his nephew in basically a staged robbery gone wrong with the girlfriend that they killed that family too. Now, interestingly enough, he wasn't actually charged for any of those crimes. And his nephew wasn't charged for any of the crimes on the family with the two young daughters. And basically what I read was something along the lines of they can't be charged for the same crimes. Does that make any sense to you? One of the things that they probably
1: would have kept in mind is that co-defendant trials actually do typically have to be severed. It would be up to the defense attorney to make that motion. But once a defense attorney makes that motion, co-defendant cases are typically severed because each person isn't engaging in the same actions. So you have that right to kind of separate yourself from the other actor so that what you did in the crime isn't poisoned by their actions in the Uh crime. So I think in theory, what they would have been considering is the fact they didn't want to put two trials on and have the family potentially Mm -hmm. have to go through that twice. So.
0: And they that did would have there was one of the things they considered that makes sense. And there was some mention of basically something along the lines of there really was no proof that the nephew did anything in the case of the family with the two little girls. right. So I guess they stuck with which case was stronger for each of right. the men, mm-hmm. which leaves us with one crime you guys remember which from last week, the girl shot in the head. Yeah. He actually was, while he was in jail for his actions against the family with two children, he was charged. I guess, is charged the right word for a grand jury? So a grand jury issues an
1: indictment, which is what lay people would refer to as a charge. Okay. So a grand jury does issue a charge, but you don't plead guilty or not guilty to a grand jury. When the grand jury is receiving evidence and deliberating, no one's really permitted to be there. Okay. So it's not a trial. It's not the uh-huh. defendant and his defense attorney and the Commonwealth. It's mm-hmm. not any of that. Gotcha. So well, he yeah, after after they receive information, they then determine whether or not the charge is appropriate and if there's probable cause for the charge
0: he said he, during questioning, he said he was not guilty and he never confessed to that crime. And the judge, I'm going to say it the way that people in the know say it, I think hopefully this time, Noel Prost, the case <laughs> during the grand jury for a number of reasons, but especially after some of the evidence at the scene introduced other DNA and testimony that they had from a jailhouse informant who said that the uncle's girlfriend said she was with him at the time of the murder was not allowed into the grand jury evidence. So basically their case kind of fell apart and he was never charged in any way with that crime and didn't go to an actual jury trial or anything like that. So that must have been a decision that the Commonwealth attorney made. The
1: judge can't null process. That's a that's a request that the Commonwealth Attorney can make because the Commonwealth okay. decides which charges are prosecuted. As you said, I guess started to fall apart. They they made that decision that the case yeah. could move forward.
2: Yeah. Well, considering that he apparently had no reluctance confessing to killing his wife, an entire family, another entire family. Yeah. And stabbing a young man and destroying his life. Why wouldn't he confess to that? I and agree. the fact with you. that she was shot. I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think these guys had a gun. So I'm thinking that they did not do that
1: one.
0: Yeah. From the, from the outside looking in with the little bit that I know and my judgy hat on, I agree with you. I think that it's likely they didn't commit that crime. Well, and not
1: to give them any credit, but the uncle did confess to everything else. Exactly. So it would be interesting why, I mean, why if would were you a lie couple about of this other one? related, if there were a couple of other related things that they didn't confess to that had you know, a lot of similarities, but the only similarity in that one, honestly, was that there was a fire.
0: Yep. And the electrical cord, I guess, if you want to
2: call that a similarity. I think, yeah, they're just taking what's available. They don't even seem, well, other than the knives, like they're even really that well organized.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That was kind of, The confessions, as far as what I was able to find, I'm sure there's a lot of other information that we're likely missing, but essentially he confessed to everything other than that basement woman, which, you know, we all kind of feel, and I guess it's likely eventually the Commonwealth's attorney also sort of felt. Like maybe he didn't do since they null-prossed the whole thing, but he confessed. And then he went to a grand jury, went to a jury trial. So we're going to get into all of that, kind of see if these men were brought to justice and how, and some of the steps along the way and things that came out during, because spoiler alert, uncle pleads not guilty. And so he goes to a jury trial.
1: (laughs) Damn. Yeah. It's always yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm going to confess to all of it and say, I'm not, but guilty. I'm not guilty. I'm not guilty. It's I'm like, so sure not.
2: It's like people who are on videotape stabbing or killing somebody and they go to court and they plead not guilty. And you're like,
1: mm. really? <laughs> mm. You got constitutional rights. I hear you, but they oh, mir- were, the they must've Mirandized him before he confessed.
0: Oh, sure.
1: So it's just, it's fascinating.
0: You know, what made him
1: be like, whoops, Uh mind. Maybe he was trying to
0: plead not guilty by reason of insanity or something, but I didn't specifically read that. You would go to a jury trial in that case, right?
1: Yeah, it depends. There's a couple of different paths that that could take. But if the Commonwealth didn't agree that you were insane at the time of the offense, then Mm -hmm. yes, that issue specifically could go to a jury.
0: Well, on February 15th, 2006, in the general district court, both of the defendants were brought before a grand jury. At this time, they were trying to charge them with first-degree murder, and this ended up in a null process as well, which I, I feel like we're just hearing that term so much lately.
1: Yeah, it can happen. If they charge as first-degree and then they make a decision that it needs to be charged differently, you can't really amend without agreement of the defendant. You would have to, null process is essentially the Commonwealth's ability to ask the judge not to move at that time. Mm -hmm. You can actually bring back charges that have been null-prost, typically. Mm -hmm.
0: Eventually, in August 2006, Uncle did have a five-day trial starting on the 21st, and he was charged with the Class 1 felony of capital murder for one of the parents in the January 1st killings. He was also charged with multiple-person capital murder and multiple capital murders within three years and two counts of capital murder on a minor. So I guess from what you are saying, that could be why those charges of first degree murder were null because they eventually went with capital murder?
1: Yeah, it sounds like that they- What's
0: the difference?
1: So capital murder actually doesn't exist anymore in Virginia. Oh. Capital murder is punishable by the death penalty. Aha! Uh-huh. Capital that murder in Virginia used to be, and again, capital murder was removed- from the code before I even became an attorney, I think. Mm -hmm. So I'm not very familiar with it, but the capital murder code section was very specific. It required like certain, I guess you could say almost abhorrent sorts of crimes. Like, for example, the one I always remember just because it's so awful is capital murder is murdering a pregnant woman or capital Mm. murder is murdering someone by lying in wait inside of their residence. Mm. or So there's a couple of different fact patterns, I guess I'll say, that fall within capital murder. But because it's punishable by death, obviously, it's like that Stuff that makes your skin crawl. The stuff we're talking about here. Right. Obviously.
0: And I mean, we don't have, like you said, we don't have capital murder anymore, which I didn't know, obviously. But what I do know is that we also no longer have the death penalty, which you mentioned. But at the time, could you only be sentenced to death for capital murder? Like, could you have gotten the death penalty for a first degree murder?
1: No. Is that what you're basically the, saying? No. Right. No. Mm-hmm. Cap, okay.
0: Capital murder. The reason we no longer have
1: capital murder is because we no longer have the death penalty. Okay. Capital murder sense. was the only, I believe, the only crime punishable by the death penalty.
0: But it didn't mean if you were found guilty that you were definitely going to get the death penalty. You could still get a lesser sentence. It was punishable by life or death, was my understanding. You would either get
1: life in prison. And again, we used to have a parole system, so I'm not sure how that used to function into it because obviously Mm -hmm. parole was disbanded even before capital murder was, or you would be sentenced to death.
0: Wow. Well, like I said, I feel really bad for this guy, so let's get into that. (laughs) Because during the trial, his lawyers offered evidence in mitigation, including testimony from his mom about his early home life. So his lawyers described and his mother also described how he struggled to read, he was hyper and disruptive in class, and he was spanked by his dad with a horse strap whenever reports of him being disrupted in class were received. He also wet the bed most nights until he was 13, which resulted in even more severe beatings from his father. And this is light so far, to be honest, compared to Some of the other things that this guy went through as a kid. His mom said he was also blamed by his siblings for a lot of, you know, little bad children, nefarious activities around the household, which resulted in some more beatings. And his mom said that while he wasn't one of the victims of this abuse, she described sexual abuse of two of her children by a friend of her husband's. And I feel like. Maybe she was just kind of in denial about him being one of the victims of that. But when this guy was still really young, his mom joined the army and was transferred to Washington state for a year. So she left this kid with his dad and his stepbrother on the East coast while she went to Washington state. By the time she returned, her little boy was addicted to cocaine And she also learned when she returned that her husband's son, her son's stepbrother, had been sexually abusing him. And in fact, the uncle's sister testified during the trial that this had been occurring since her brother was only four and that the sexual assault had become a very regular thing in their home over the course of the next 17 years. This is the uncle's backstory or the nephew's? This is the uncle's backstory. Like I said, the story is really about the uncle to me. I don't really have a backstory on the nephew. So his sister also said that he started to use drugs to cope like that cocaine when he was only 13. She said he was a regular user of marijuana and PCP in addition to cocaine. And I think I want to say now that his lawyer- tried to use this drug use as some sort of defense or explanation. The lawyers never said he didn't do any of these things. They said he did them, but his lawyer said he had been on a weeks-long PCP binge during the time of the crimes and PCP is apparently well documented to affect mood stability make and you violent. yeah, make you violent and unstable.
1: Yeah, I mean obviously they at this point they're just they're fighting for his life. I mean, that was the state of capital crimes. You were literally Mm -hmm. fighting to keep someone from the death penalty.
0: Mm.
1: Mm. But whether or not he deserved that is another question
0: entirely. I mean. To be saved from the death penalty. Right. Yeah.
1: Setting that aside entirely. I'm not saying one way or the other because that it's just so hard after everything that happened, you know, Mm -hmm. like you said, there's got to be that accountability.
0: Yeah. They also discussed during the trial that when the mom returned from Washington state, her husband was actually arrested on drug charges and she moved her family to Philadelphia for a fresh start. But apparently the damage was kind of done in terms of the impact on her young son. During the trial, at actually, I guess at the conclusion of the trial, after only 30 minutes of deliberation, he was found guilty.
1: Damn.
0: Yeah. He was sentenced on October 23rd, 2006 for the first charge of capital murder. He received a life sentence in the state penitentiary for that one. For the class one felony of multiple capital murders within three years of each other, he received a life sentence for that charge as well. So this kind of is getting into, like you said, it could be a life or a death sentence for these capital murder charges. Right. And then finally, for the two counts of capital murder on a minor, which is also a class one felony, he received two death sentences. He was initially charged with multiple person capital murder during the trial, but those charges were actually dismissed in a request to set verdict aside on May of 2011. And our uncle did not face any other charges in Virginia for the breakings and enterings, the murder of his accomplice and her family, or the random stabbing on New Year's Eve. Hmm. Oh, wow. It's
1: interesting. A request to set a verdict aside is pretty unusual. What that typically Mm -hmm. means is that the jury found guilt on that Hmm. charge, and that the judge actually, for some reason, disagreed and set the verdict aside, which is a pretty unusual remedy. So that would be interesting to know more about that for sure.
0: Well, I just wondered, and again, not a legal expert, but to me, multiple person capital murder and multiple capital murders within three years, they sound very similar. Yeah. So do again, you think it's possible those... that they just decided to charge him with one or the other? It's possible that they just didn't meet some
1: level of technicality in the elements of the crime. I think it's that it'd be a certain amount of people within a certain amount of hours or a certain amount of people in a certain amount of years. So mm-hmm. yeah, potentially they they weren't able to meet both. And the judge found that to be too much of an overlap is -hmm. the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. They couldn't be convicted of both at the same time.
0: Yeah. Well, so two life sentences, two death sentences for uncle in, like I said, ultimately just the murder of the two parents and their two young daughters on New Year's day. The nephew after that, grand jury. He also initially pled not guilty. So he went to trial in September 2006 and the trial started, but two days in, he actually changed his not guilty plea to guilty on September 18th. So I guess, I guess the trial just kind of stops. Exactly. It's your
1: decision whether or not you can plead guilty at any point. Uh Uh-huh. You can plead guilty while the jury's deliberating. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know why you would, but you could. Uh
0: And he got... Three counts of capital murder. This was for the accomplice and her parents, and he got three life sentences to be run concurrently with no possibility of parole. And it turns out, actually, I I think this is important to mention that the reason he pled guilty was actually because he had been offered a deal where the death penalty was taken off the table, and he would just be charged with first degree murder. Wow. So yeah, that, that is why he kind of changed his his mind.
2: Well, that used to be something they could hold over people's heads, you know, like if you plead guilty, we won't go for the death penalty, which of course they can't do anymore.
0: I mean, but they still do offer people plea deals, just oh, not sure. for reduced sentences and stuff. Like his uncle, he didn't ever face any other charges in the state. He was observed to be very emotionless and cold during the proceedings, and the commonwealth's attorney said he would have preferred a sentence of death but also said that allowing the nephew to take the plea deal was the smart and right thing to do.
1: Yeah, you're not really supposed to hold things over people's heads when it comes to plea agreements. I know it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around because it is it is negotiating, so it's it's adverse, but you're not supposed to, I don't know, you're supposed to approach it in a way that you think the commonwealth attorney in this case said, that's fair, that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily, oh, if you do this, we won't, We'll do this, but more in terms of what's appropriate based on how to, how to achieve accountability.
0: Yeah. I think the public always feels like they know, I don't know, like they know, but they have feelings about the best way to bring people to justice in situations like this. And I think a lot of people wanted the nephew to get the death sentence as well. One of the victim's sisters, for example, was very unhappy with the swift change in the trial where he suddenly said, okay, I'm guilty, give me the deal, because she strongly believed he would have gotten the death penalty if the case went before a jury. That same Commonwealth's attorney, on the other hand, said that some of the facts in the case of the nephew would have made a death sentence more difficult to obtain, including the absence of child victims in the second set of murders and yeah, the ambiguity as to the nephew's exact role in any of the crimes.
2: Yeah. Except, I mean, he killed three people and, and basically they suffocated to death. It wasn't well, even
0: like they were shot, listen, but we the weren't eyes. involved. We weren't involved in that case. And also, I mean, here's just one example during his confession. He said that he cut his girlfriend's throat during the murders, but her throat had not been cut in any way. Hmm. So there were some inconsistencies that made it a little unclear as to what he may or may not have actually done. Was he trying to protect his uncle in some way? I, I mean, the Commonwealth's attorney really felt that it was unlikely he would have gotten the death penalty.
1: But that's what makes the job so difficult because the Commonwealth's attorney, they don't represent the victim. They don't mm-hmm. represent the victim's sister. They represent the entire community. hmm and, and they have to ensure that they seek justice. And if the Commonwealth attorney reviewed their case and thought that the best outcome was to secure a life sentence rather mm-hmm. than gamble, then it's an incredibly difficult decision to make. But you, yeah. you make it to the best of your ability and you know your case better than anyone else.
0: Mm-hmm. After he was sentenced, he waived his right to appeal. And mm. he's still in jail. To this day, serving his what was it? Three concurrent life sentences with no possibility of parole, which you said we're not a parole state anyway, but you have mentioned, what is it? I don't know. (laughs) Geriatric parole. Yeah. They they still have. Would this guy, would someone like this be eligible for something like that? So honestly, I'm not even going to lie to you.
1: I don't really know what parole is that well, because we haven't been a parole state as long as I've been an attorney, but Uh parole used to be a very complicated There was a parole board, there was a Mm -hmm. system of points, there was a certain measure of different review processes, and you could be released. I don't think at any point, I mean, I think you had to serve a portion of your sentence, but you could be released by this parole board. And I think much earlier than you can be released now. So now the only kind of types of parole we have are, I think, geriatric parole, which is just if you're X amount of years old and served X portion of your sentence. Mm-hmm. But I think that has to be tied to a medical. I think typically it's only granted in like, uh-huh. you know, you have cancer or where, something. Right. There's like a you're about to die. There wasn't any, I, I don't think in these sorts of crimes, people are considered for geriatric parole. I well, don't think they're like, ah, oh, man, you're old head on home. <laughs> you're well, too
0: weak to do that again. It's <laughs> fine. It's fine. You
1: didn't mean it. You're old now. Head on out.
2: I think part of geriatric parole is the state probably doesn't want to have to pay their medical expenses.
1: (laughs) But I know,
2: I know in states that
1: do you try to pay their medical expenses Uh, because the state gets their money from the taxpayers. (laughs) I don't, I don't. But I know
2: that states that do have parole where the families often have to go in And plead for the person not to be released on parole and they have to relive the whole horror of. Yeah, that was part of it was, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was done to my family. I know the sister of Sharon Tate, who was murdered by the Manson family, those people, not Manson himself, but the other people come up for parole, I don't know, every five or 10 years and she has to rally people to write the governor, and then she has to go in, and you must have to live with that your whole life. "Mm Re-traumatizing, for
0: sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: re-traumatizing every time. Pearl's maybe not a good idea. I don't know.
0: I don't know either. I don't know. I think that, I personally think that the death penalty is not a good idea, but it's complicated, right? Because for one reason, taxpayers, there's a lot of none of this stuff to me is it should absolutely with 100% certainty be this way no matter what i think it's all very gray as opposed to black and white
2: well they they claim that it's complicated stuff yeah that giving somebody the death penalty ends up costing the state far more money than just keeping somebody in prison because i guess there's the constant mm what do you call it well the lawyers blank
0: the lawyers don't the stop appeals, fighting the cons- for the yes. person's life yes. like our appeal. lawyer said so they're appealing they're trying to get stay of execution so there's a lot going on and i mean sometimes people end up being on death row for like 40 50 years it's not as simple as oh that costs the taxpayers less money because it doesn't always (laughs) because that's a lot of people's argument like when i tell people that i really don't not that it matters in our state anymore but when i tell people that generally in a flawed system of flawed humans in a world like the one we live in i don't agree with the death penalty. People are like, well, the taxpayers. It's just well, not that straightforward.
2: I think the issue was that the death penalty was given very randomly and unfortunately mostly to poor Black people who were often badgered by the police into a confession. Mm-hmm. And so that does make it difficult. In this case, I have to say, where the guy confessed and there's no doubt that he is guilty and the fact that he killed two children, I have no issues with him being put to death. And I'm sorry he had a terrible childhood. I do feel for that. But at some point, you just have to take responsibility for your own life. I I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, certainly lots of people have had horrible childhoods and haven't done something like this. Like I was just listening to a story the other day of a kid who was groomed and kidnapped by a friend of his mom's and he was kept high on cocaine and he was sexually assaulted repeatedly doing Coke 10 times a day, multiple sexual assaults a day. And this guy's a heavy machinery operator now in Alaska. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't excuse what happened. It helps to explain it. And for me personally, just because I'm an empath, it, it really makes me feel for the person. I'm I'm not saying it excuses what he did at all, but I can really feel for a child that went through all of that. Yeah, yeah it's,
2: it's, it's pretty awful. And the most awful thing is to think that, they, that he's just one of thousands, oh, if
0: not millions. It's horrible. It's horrifying. So we've gotten through the punishment. Yeah. Well, mostly, yeah. And like you kind of mentioned earlier, the uncle's lawyers didn't really stop fighting for his life after the trial because he got two death sentences. So after he received those sentences, he and his team appealed the charges of capital murder, including the ones for the two children for which he ultimately got the death penalty. And I want to talk about some of those appeals and different states of execution, because I just think it's so interesting. And not that I understand anything, but the very high level, which is pretty much what we'll get into. But I just think it's so interesting to see some of these bits and pieces of the legal system. So they appealed And there were a few different appeals. There was a written appeal. He actually went before the court a couple of additional times and presented different pieces of evidence that hadn't been presented the first time. For example, his team presented the mitigation evidence heard above again, as well as a videotaped deposition of a psychologist and expert on the impact of child abuse and the relationship between early trauma and the perpetration of violence. They also presented a clinical and forensic psychologist's opinion that the man was likely to make a positive adjustment to prison or an adjustment that is free of serious violence. They were basically trying to get him life in prison. It's not like they were trying to get him out on the streets. Right. Yeah. So capital capital appeals are
1: much different than other criminal appeals. Mm-hmm. They have different standards. They have different arguments because it is, I think, for the most part... A way that you can argue that they shouldn't have had the death penalty imposed. Mm-hmm. Depending, I mean, there's obviously you can appeal the issues in front of the court as well and say that, that they shouldn't have been convicted. But uh-huh. one of the paths they can take is just arguing about the reasonability of the sentence.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they had all these experts and they based the conclusion that he could go to, you know, sort of regular prison with normal people on this doctor's conclusion that he was nearly 30 years old and that his likelihood of getting in trouble in prison is only about half as much as it was when he was 18 or 20 and continues to fall steadily across the lifespan. The doctor also noted that even given the man's history of incarceration, he was never violent with other inmates. And he did a lot during his time in prison so far. He got his GED and he started working on additional courses in sheet metal, business, and electrical work. Ultimately, the doctor said that the seriousness of the, the offense, and any offense, not just this offense, does not predict violence in prison And that capital inmates who get sentenced to life or the general prison population have very low rates of violence. Well, it doesn't seem like they addressed his crime. No, I don't think they were really trying to say he's been convicted of those crimes. I don't think they're saying anything about the crime. They're trying to say these are the reasons he shouldn't be executed. Whether or not he committed the crime or in the case that he did, I think. Right. In contrast the Commonwealth produced testimony from the officer who arrested him and performed a search of the basement in the residence where he was found. And that officer talked about how the man hid in the basement, crouched behind a water heater for the entire search. He also explained that when he asked the uncle to show his hands, he simply smirked and refused to show one of his hands, which the officer found very threatening. He also punched the officer in an attempt to Resist arrest and assaulted the officer's partner, and attempted to take their gun before he was arrested. Multiple punches were exchanged, but the officers were eventually able to handcuff and secure the suspect. So it, it is still kind of a little back and forth, it seems to me. And like I said, we're in the legal stuff, so feel free to correct me. But you know, they're saying, "Hey, he's not going to be violent," and the Commonwealth is like, "Hey, he he is violent. He's unpredictable." No.
1: Yeah. Interesting. It sounds like. That's what, kind of the sole issue, too. I mean, is the only question about whether he deserves life or death, whether or not he's going to be violent again? Yeah, that just doesn't even seem to play into it, if you ask me. I mean, I, it's a part of it. I'm not saying it's not. But is it the only question?
0: No, I don't think it is. But I guess they're trying to show like, hey, he's not at, we're not at risk of him like murdering everyone on his cell block or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's probably the only question and I don't think the lawyers thought so either. It's definitely just one of the. Because another thing they had an appeal on, it was more of a written appeal, and we've talked about this sort of appeal before, and they presented four different points for this one. Just like our case, actually, it was two weeks ago, we talked a little bit about when we had our, your coworker mom who murdered his wife. We're going to kind of talk, just like we did then, about each of the points in the appeal and what the Commonwealth's response was to each one. He first stated that the death sentence was imposed under the influence of passion, prejudice, or other arbitrary factors. The second point on the appeal was that his death sentence was excessive or disproportionate to penalties imposed in similar cases. The third complaint was that the court failed to declare some complicated code, which he believed was unconstitutional, as violating his right to equal protection under the law. And the final error in this appeal highlighted That the death penalty violates state and federal constitutions. So, I mean,
1: those are pretty standard arguments. They're all. Specific to the case, obviously, but those are standard arguments.
0: Yeah. And it sounded like basically that's pretty much what the Commonwealth said to like, hey, yeah, we've heard this before. And here are all the cases in which we've heard this before. And these are the reasons for which you are wrong is basically pretty much appeals practice for sure. (laughs) So on the first point of the death sentence being imposed under the influence of passion, prejudice, or other arbitrary factors, the Commonwealth contested this error from the beginning because the uncle and his team did not offer any examples of the jury's sentence being imposed under the influence of pash's prejudice or other arbitrary factors they basically just said it they didn't have any evidence any indication any specific examples to highlight so the state was basically like nah on the second point which revolved a review of over seven different cases where children under 14 were murdered by adults over the age of 21. And unfortunately, none of these cases were found to be directly comparable, but there were cases where death sentences were upheld in the case of murder of children around the age of the girls killed by the uncle in our story. There was a case where a defendant was 32 and the victims were four and two, where the defendant was 29 and the victim was four, where the defendant was 28 and the victim was two, on and on and on. I was actually surprised to see so many child adult murders in Virginia. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I guess it was over the course of a very long period of time, but I was just like, damn, why do they have so many examples? This is horrifying. But based on all of these other cases in this review, they concluded that the sentence was neither excessive nor disproportionate.
1: Because they're making a point. They're like, look, when you kill a child, this is is how, this is justice. This is what justice looks like.
0: Yeah. So on the third point, which had something to do with, he basically was saying he didn't get equal protection under the law. And this one was really complicated. This one went on and on for pages, just this one. But he basically claimed he was being discriminated against for being over 21. Because part of that code for the charge of capital murder says capital murder includes the willful, deliberate, and premeditated killing of a person under the age of 14 by a person age 21 or older. So he argued basically that if he had been under 21, they wouldn't even have been able to put him to death. And for that reason, since he was over 21, he should get equal protection and not be able to put to death.
1: But there's all sorts of crimes that are differentiated between being a child and being an adult.
0: Yeah. I mean, even something as simple as as you can drink over one age, you not under another. That's (laughs) not
1: unusual. Yeah. It's
0: not unconstitutional. Well, I think the state was basically just tired of the bullshit at this point. I mean, they literally responded to this one for pages. It was super long winded. They cited all of this code. None of that makes any sense to me. But essentially, they said that during the trial, he didn't waive some right to argue a strict scrutiny standard. And also there were all these legal codes that established the death penalty as a punishment, like you said, only for adults over 21. And age also is not a classification under the equal protection abuse clause at the time. And basically at the end of Two pages, just for this one alone, it was also denied. And then on the final point, they just cited three other cases where they considered and rejected whether the death penalty is constitutional, and they found that it was. So not only did they reject all of his claims for appeal in general, but they also denied the request to commute his death sentence to a life sentence. So he He lost? He lost.
1: Unsurprisingly...
0: There was So this is just like, they're really, 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 and I think this just highlights all of that. Like you said, they're trying to save his life. And they made so many different attempts. There was another appeal that requested, based off ineffective counsel, after the uncle argued that his lawyers failed to tell the jury that he was high on PCP for several days during the crimes, because that didn't come out until appeals, even though I mentioned it earlier and that was taken to the supreme court but the supreme court said it would not hear the appeal In 2016, his lawyers also appealed for a stay of execution, stating that he shouldn't endure chemical torture as it violated his Eighth Amendment right for his execution to be free from cruel punishment. His lawyers claimed that the three-drug cocktail that the Virginia Department of Corrections uses to knock out and then execute inmates have, on numerous occasions, not operated as intended. Instead, the first drug has sometimes failed to adequately sedate the inmate who subsequently has endured the torturous effects of the second and third drugs while aware of what was happening. And recently, disturbing details have emerged about the specific drugs the VDOC intends to use to kill their client. All of this is a quote, which, as explained herein, increases the risk that he will be executed by a constitutionally intolerable method. Would he prefer to be electrocuted?
1: That's such a lawyer sentence. That's like a three paragraph <laughs> sentence. Sentence, Buddy, use a period. <laughs> like, lawyers.
0: Finally, his lawyers asked the governor to grant clemency, which the governor said he absolutely would not do.
1: Yeah, that feels like a stretch.
0: Yeah, the governor was quoted as saying that the uncle obviously didn't say the uncle but he said that he was convicted in a fair and impartial trial and a jury sentenced him to death in accordance with virginia law so the governor wouldn't intervene and not, in the f- not to mention he also confessed to everything <laughs> yeah i mean i think that probably played a part in the final days before his execution the uncle released a public apology which was posted to a website requesting clemency he said, quote, I'm sorry they had to be a victim of my despair. He also said remorse is not a deep enough word for how I feel. I know my words can't bring anything back, but I continuously feel horrible for the circumstances that I put them in. I robbed them from a lifelong supply of joy. Wow. It's interesting.
1: I'm honestly surprised to hear that because kind of with everything you've heard, you didn't expect that. That he would feel remorse.
0: Yeah. After all of that, though, finally in 2017, on January 18th, he was executed by lethal injection and pronounced dead at 9 42 p.m. When he was asked if he had any final words, he simply said nope. And the drugs in question that his lawyers called cruel were indeed the ones used. It's interesting because like I mentioned earlier, which his lawyer said, executions are typically done with three drugs given in stages. The first is sodium thiopentol, which is also phenobarbital. Does that sound familiar, mom? Because that's what Emma used to take. <laughs> well, phenobarbital,
2: yeah, has lots of uses. And our dog took it for many years because she was epileptic. I don't know if they give it to humans who are epileptic, but it's also used to relieve anxiety. So I guess they give it to them to relieve their anxiety. Remember you guys used to give it
0: to our other dog during thunderstorms. Yeah. (laughs) Which is probably (laughs) illegal. The second drug is pancuronium bromide, which paralyzes the person. And the final drug is potassium chloride, which stops the heart. And this is just an interesting side note, but apparently around the time that this guy was getting the death penalty and they were going to execute him. Apparently, manufacturers in Europe who made these drugs had started putting blocks on sending these drugs to the U.S. out of concern that they were being used for capital punishment. So states that still used capital punishment, like Virginia at that time, had to start looking for alternatives and many opted for very, very controversial drugs. In one case I read about, for example, Dennis McGuire, who was a convicted murderer and rapist, they used a painkiller called hydromorphone instead. And he gasped and convulsed for 10 minutes after he was executed. And in another case, this guy convulsed and writhed and he could be seen struggling to speak and trying to get people's attention before they actually blocked view of him from witnesses and people who were there at the execution. That's so and it's just a random side note, but it's very interesting to learn a little bit about. I'm not saying
1: whether or not the death penalty should be a thing. Honestly, I don't know how to feel like it's too much to unpack,
0: mm-hmm. but there's no good way to kill a person. This guy was the second to last person ever executed in Virginia. Hmm. Wow. From a death penalty case. So it must have
1: been right oh. around 2006 that that change took place then. So yeah, it's been no, a number of years now.
0: He wasn't wasn't executed until 2017. I don't know when they actually, but I mean, it would be interesting to know when the last person actually received the death penalty. I think just because the last two people were executed in 2017, I wonder when they actually stopped giving people that charge. You think it was the same year they started commuting people's? It depends.
1: It can be either or. It's definitely interesting for sure that he, you talk about timing, but so yeah, one of the last people
0: he ultimately you know these guys the uncle was executed the nephew is still in prison eight people lost their lives one man was severely negatively impacted for the rest of his life it's it's just awful i don't really know even yeah, just yeah. no
1: words there's no way to end it i just feel like we always get to the end of these segments and i uh,
0: what do you say just want to cry like, right okay. do you have a
1: crying circle at the end <laughs>
2: yeah i think I think I do have sort of one question that popped into my mind. You know, they go on this killing spree, and yet they let this elderly couple for some reason they just robbed them. I forgot about them since they like nothing happened to them.
0: It feels like,
2: and you're wondering what was it about this elderly couple that they did they not feel threatened by them? Were they just in a good mood that day? It's it's very. I mean, that elderly couple must feel every really day. dodged a bullet yes
0: that they that's a didn't great question saran wrap wrapped around their head and sure. bludgeoned to death. absolutely i think that i did read something in all of the research i did where the man did say maybe they didn't feel threatened by him but i think there might it's possible there could be something to you said you know that that's the only crime where the woman came inside with them other than the staged one where she eventually
1: Lost yeah her mother. life
0: but i wonder if there could be something to that well yeah i did think of that
2: that because she was there they didn't go all crazy
1: yeah well yeah another, <laughs> well, another level of hell here on sunday
0: funday and that's that's the end that's the end of our story and as usual if you guys would like to you have a horrible level of hell you want to tell us about (laughs) you can email us at murderer you know at gmail.com you can check us out on social media our instagram is murderer you know podcast our facebook is at myk pod you can check out our website you can reach out join our mailing list for free merch the options are Endless. limitless <laughs> does anyone have anything to add see you next week <laughs> that's all for now okay no additions all right well i'm just so exhausted at that. you want me to add more there's
1: no i have nothing <laughs> left to give yeah i get that sayonara it's-